Good morning. All right, so uh, back on church history, and we are in the Crusades. I think all of you have been here every week, so you know that, but uh, we'll try to wrap up the Crusades today. Last week, we looked at the First and Second Crusades, and uh, today we'll look at the Third and Fourth Major Crusades, um, and then also talk about a couple of some groups, kind of uh, monastic orders, if you will, that emerged during this time period. And then we'll wrap up with sort of summarizing the effect of the crusade on the church and on Western Europe. Ah, I have a note here about making Gary happy, but he's not here. He was all excited about Robin Hood. (laughs) You are too. Okay, (laughs) let's get started on the third and most famous crusade. Uh, So the third crusade took place in AD 1189 to 1192. Um, Kind of recap, let's set the scene. So First Crusade, the Crusaders went to the Holy Land and were successful, if you will, um, and established four Crusader nations down there. Um, And then the Second Crusade happened because one of those nations fell. Um, And the Second Crusade failed to even get there and do anything about it. So at this point, Third Crusade, we have three nations, crusader states. Um, Sometimes they're called the Latin kingdoms that are still in place there in the Holy Land. Um, And so at at this point in the Middle East, we see the Muslims sort of unite under uh, one of their greatest leaders ever, history remembers him, uh, a general by the name of Saladin. Uh, and so Saladin and his army uh, waged war against those remaining three crusader states. Uh, and in July of AD 1187, his army defeated a large crusader army and successfully captured Jerusalem. Uh, I thought it was interesting. It happened in July. If you remember, the initial capture of Jerusalem was in July of 1099. So 88 years to the month that the crusaders held July. Or not July, Jerusalem. <laughs> In July, and so unlike the Crusaders, who you know we saw were very brutal when they captured Jerusalem, the Crusaders had killed everyone in it. Uh, Saladin was actually a very kind and just and wise ruler. He did not slaughter everyone in it when he captured it and they surrendered. Uh, he allowed the Christian civilians and the surrendered soldiers to leave Jerusalem peacefully uh, and retreat to other cities. Um, and history remembers Saladin favorably because of this. And he, he really wasn't a man of war. He was good at it, but it wasn't his passion. He's known as a man of culture and science and even technology. Um, and so, but he was also a, he was just a smart man and, and a good leader. And so he managed to recapture Jerusalem with the Muslim army under his leadership. So when news of the fall of Jerusalem reached Western Europe, uh, It grieved people so much. Uh, In fact, it grieved the Pope so much that it was said that Pope Gregory VIII died from his grief. He was so heartbroken over the loss of Jerusalem. Um, But before he died from his grief, he called for a new crusade. He said, we need to go get it back. Uh, And so the nations rallied around that call, uh, and we see uh, some of the greatest kings of Europe in this time period take place. If you remember, the First Crusade didn't really have any kings. It had some brothers of kings and sons who were princes and things like that. Second Crusade, we had one king and one emperor, Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, Third Crusade now, we've got three major kings in Europe. Um, We have King Philip Augustus of France. 
We have the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa, and we have King Richard I of England, who is more famously known as Richard the Lionheart. Uh, and it was, this is for Gary again. I feel bad that he's missing this. But during Richard's absence, of course, Prince John uh, had to deal with a very foxy bandit named Robin Hood back in England, or so the story goes. I don't think that actually had much effect on church history, so we will leave it at that. <laughs> back to the Third Crusade. Uh, like all crusades, uh, this one had plenty of trouble. Um, their flights got canceled, and so the entire army was forced to travel to the Holy Land by land and by sea. That was a joke. <laughs> uh, when they reached Tarsus, you remember Paul was from Tarsus, so this is in um, modern-day Turkey that, sort of, that was Asia Minor. Uh, that's when disaster struck. The Holy Roman Emperor Frederick Barbarossa drowned. I'm not sure what happened, but suddenly we're down one leader. Uh, and so with him out of the picture, uh, the Germans were somewhat useless. Sorry, Manfred. Okay. <laughs> it was, okay. Uh, and so that left just two strong rulers over this army, King Philip and King Richard, who, of course, then spent the rest of the expedition quarreling. They couldn't get along. Uh, nevertheless, they did eventually reach the Holy Land and managed to first capture uh, a fortified city called Acre, uh, which was a little bit north of Jerusalem. Uh, and they set up in Acre, made that the new headquarters of the Crusaders, and from there they continued to uh, wage war. Uh, well, they, I say, uh, mostly King Richard. After capturing Acre, King Philip and the French army returned home. Uh, and so it just left King Richard and, and a bunch of English knights for the most part. Um, they continued for about another year, this Third Crusade. Uh, they fought quite valiantly. They fought a lot of battles, but they didn't ever succeed in capturing Jerusalem. Uh, during this time, King Richard earned such a reputation for his prowess in battle uh, that he sort of became like the boogeyman of the Muslim world. Muslim parents, if their kids were misbehaving, would frighten them by saying, if, if you disobey, King Richard the Lionheart's going to get you. <laughs> so, uh, but they did, they, they had a respect for Richard. He, he wasn't a cruel person like the previous crusaders had been. Um, and so eventually he and Saladin signed a treaty uh, after a year, uh, which the treaty they gave the crusaders a chunk of land along the coast from Acre kind of to the west over to the Mediterranean and also gave Christians the freedom of Christian pilgrims to enter Jerusalem. Um, so, you know, the army couldn't come in, but again, we had access to the Temple Mount, the tomb, things like that. Um, uh, lost my place here. There it is. Um, so that, that sort of was the result of the Third Crusade. Um, it, it wasn't terribly successful. Like They didn't recapture Jerusalem. It, it never reached the level of what the First Crusade did. Uh, so I think it's kind of funny that it's the most famous and well-known. Um, and the reason is because of Richard the Lionheart's stories. The, uh, when news of his battles reached Western Europe, they kind of became the stuff of legend. A lot of poetry and uh, other works were written about the great battles between King Richard the Lionheart and, and the evil Muslim ruler Saladin. 
Uh, and so that's why we know so much about the Third Crusade. Yes, Carrie. He did. Yes. <laughs> so maybe he was just as brutal as the first few, but he didn't let that story get told. Uh, and so that wraps up Crusade number three. Um, ten years later, uh, so 1192 that wrapped up. Ten years later in 1202, uh, Pope Innocent III, who we're going to look at him in a lot more detail in a future lesson, um, declared the Fourth Crusade because they still didn't have Jerusalem. Um, although this time the goal wasn't to hit Jerusalem. For some reason they decided they were going to go for Egypt this time. They were going to actually travel by ship and take a crusader army and attack Egypt. Uh, however, uh, maybe people didn't really like this mission, so only the French responded to this call for the Fourth Crusade. Uh, interestingly enough, it would probably be one of the most influential and disastrous crusades out of all of them. Uh, so in order to reach Egypt, the French army hired the Venetian navy to transport them. Uh, Venice at this time in, uh, in Italy was a wealthy uh, nation of its own. Uh, it had land out there. You know, it wasn't just the city of Venice that we think of today, uh, but they owned an empire. Uh, and they were quite powerful. They were mostly a trade nation, but they had a strong navy to protect their sea trade. Um, at this time, one city that had belonged to the empire uh, had very recently seceded from Venice, uh, and that was the city of Zara in what is modern-day Croatia. Uh, and so as payment for their transport services, the Venetians asked the French army if they could pop by Zara on the way to Egypt and recapture it for the Venetians. So they did that. The French agreed. Uh, they attacked. They conquered Zara for Venice which really was a terrible thing because I mean, they may have seceded from Venice, but Zara was still a, a Western city. It was full of Catholics. So the Crusader army had just conquered a Catholic city uh, for money, basically. They, they'd become like mercenaries. Uh, and so when the news of what they had done reached Pope Innocent III, he was furious. And uh, you can all predict this. He did exactly what the popes keep doing every time I tell a story about an angry pope. He excommunicated the Crusader army <laughs> and all of Venice. <laughs> However, since the army was out on his business, kind of, he retracted his excommunication of the army pretty quickly. Uh, never did actually withdraw his excommunication for Venice, though. Um, so now we have this excommunicated nation providing transport services to the Catholic army. Kind of a strange situation. So now the whole Zara thing is over. It's time to continue on to Egypt. Or how about another detour? Uh, word got out that the Venetians sort of had this fleet full of soldiers that would maybe do little battle things for money. And the Venetians, of course, loved money and were more than happy to hire out the soldiers that they had in their ship. Uh, and so uh, Alexius Angelus, the son of the recently deposed Byzantine emperor Isaac II, contacted them because uh, he wanted the throne back. His dad had gotten tossed out and he was next in line, but now there was somebody else saying, oh, no, I'm going to get an army in here and I'm going to be emperor of Byzantine. He promised them to... Two things, a lot of money, 
And to get the army on board, he promised that the Eastern Orthodox Church would submit to the papacy. Uh, that seems to keep coming up as this, you know, try to get the East and West to cooperate things. It never seems to work. And, um, so that was the offer that Alexius made. Uh, the ruler of Venice, uh, his title was the Doge. Uh, his name was Enrico Dandolo. Uh, also happened to have a personal vendetta against Byzantine. Uh, he'd had some business go sour earlier on with them. And so he thought, sure, let's send an army and, you know, kill a few people at, and get some money out of it. Works great for him. Uh, also kind of gets his navy over there to reestablish some trade routes. Again, it was all about the money for him. Uh, Pope Innocent III also heard about this offer and responded by forbidding the French army from going there. Like, Zara was bad enough, guys. We don't need to go attack Constantinople now. Well, they ignored him. Apparently that excommunication threat and then withdrawal real quick made them think that they didn't need to take Pope Innocent serious. Uh, and so with that, they proceeded to Constantinople and were successful. They deposed the new emperor and placed Alexius on the throne. Uh, and it did it pretty easily. It wasn't really expected that an army would suddenly show up and this usurper would take the throne again. So there wasn't a whole lot of bloodshed, thankfully. Uh, it seemed like things were going well um, on this this crusade, if you will. We've had two successful campaigns. Um, but this is when things really went bad. Uh, the new emperor, Alexius, was unable to keep his promise. Uh, turns out there wasn't as much money in the the empire's coffers as he thought and the eastern church was like no we're not submitting to the papacy <laughs> uh, so the french and venetians responded by laying siege to constantinople in ad 1204 uh, proceeded to loot the whole city the palace the hagia sophia other places just took anything of value they could find as payment for their services and decided to set up a french nobleman as the emperor of what they were calling the new Latin kingdom of Constantinople. So in a way, we're back to four crusader nations. Just one of them is in Byzantium instead of the Holy Land. Well, five. You remember I mentioned uh, Portugal last week, too. <laughs> These guys were early uh, pioneers, settlers. That's all they were doing. Uh, and so they did what Alexius failed to do. He, they, they forced the... Um, the Eastern Church to submit to the papacy. They made uh, a Catholic man the new patriarch of Constantinople uh, and began at least trying to, on the outside, force Eastern Church uh, people to submit. Uh, they resisted, though, uh, of course, and that didn't last. Uh, the army, interestingly enough, never did make it to Egypt. They stayed in Constantinople in their new kingdom. Uh, until A.D. 1261, when the, the locals, the Byzantines, managed to recapture the city from them. Uh, historians tend to view this, this conquest and ransacking of Constantinople as the mortal wound that eventually led to the fall uh, both of Constantinople and the entire Byzantine Empire. Uh, it came much later, A.D. 1453, uh, but, but they sort of trace it back to these things that happened in the 1200s. Because uh, after this, the Byzantine Empire never was a powerful empire again. I have here, that's a song for another lesson, because, you know, it becomes Istanbul, not Constantinople. Now that's stuck in all your heads, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and so the Fourth Crusade sort of wrapped up without ever making it anywhere near the Holy Land, even less than the previous three. And you remember the second one only made it to Damascus. Well, this one stopped short in Constantinople. Uh, it's probably one of the darkest, most divisive endeavors of the Crusaders um, because we had a Catholic army conquer a Catholic city and conquer an Eastern Orthodox city. They never did fight Muslims. Uh, and so by the time this Fourth Crusade was done, and really all the Crusades, uh, there was a very deep hatred uh, amongst the Eastern Empire and the Eastern Church for the Catholic Church. So this wraps up looking at specific Crusades. Um, Jerusalem did, interestingly enough, end up back in Christian hands one more time uh, as a result of what we call the Sixth Crusade, but it, the Sixth Crusade wasn't one with an army. It was um, a diplomatic crusade. An influential Christian ruler um, went down there, was able to negotiate some changes of who controlled what, and got Jerusalem back in Christian hands from 1229 to 1244. So, well, a little less than 20 years. Uh, then in AD 1291, um, after Jerusalem had been retaken, the city of Acre was conquered, and it was the last holdout of the Crusaders in the Holy Land. So 1291, that's the end of Crusader presence in the Holy Land, except for uh, one immortal knight who was apparently guarding the chalice from the Last Supper, at least according to one movie I saw. Indiana Jones, that one. Yeah. Yeah, so no more Crusaders in the Holy Land after the fall of Acre. So we'll talk a little bit now about some of the, what I said, were monastic orders that arose in this time period. But not, not just monastic orders, they were, they were knight monks. Um, they, were, they were soldiers, but with a religious purpose, and, and often did more than just battle. Uh, and so the three significant orders that arose were uh, the Knights of St. John of Jerusalem, uh, who more commonly were just referred to as the Hospitallers, uh, the Knights of the Temple, more commonly known as the Templars, and the Teutonic Knights. And so knights belonging to these three orders tended to be a hybrid, if you will, of both knight and monk. Uh, and they, they didn't just do a crusade and then leave. They stayed. They stuck around in the places where they went and remained involved uh, outside of the time frame of the crusade campaign. Uh, so the Hospitallers of course, got their name because they operated a hospital. They, they came with the first crusade. When it captured Jerusalem, they set up a hospital in Jerusalem and proceeded to serve in that function, uh, not only as soldiers, but also caring for those who, who were be wounded in the battles that followed. Uh, the Templars also were a result of the first crusade, and they were, of course, temple-focused. Um, they set up their base near the temple. They were about kind of leading the worship and that kind of thing there. Um, when Jerusalem it fell uh, to Saladin, who we saw, uh, the Hospitallers and the Templars were allowed to leave. They moved to Acre and set up there as their base. Uh, when Acre eventually fell in 1291, the Hospitallers backed out to the island of Malta, uh, and actually settled there and stayed there and continued to hold back the Muslim push into Europe for a few hundred more years after the fall of, uh, of Acre. 
Uh, the Templars, on the other hand, when Acre fell, returned all the way back to France uh, and sort of were given some lands, set up their own little community there um, for a, a couple decades until 1312 when the French king at the time, called Philip the Fair, which I think is really ironic, uh, disbanded them, declared them, of, uh, falsely accused them of heresy, and had them all put to death because he wanted their land. Philip the Fair. Maybe it was spelled different, F-A-R-E or something. Yeah. Maybe he liked going to the county fair. Same spelling. And he thought that land would be great for it. Yeah. Oh, he could have been a good-looking guy. Man. I'm sorry that I assumed it just meant that he was evenly reasonable. Yes. Philip the handsome county fair lover. Even back in the first crusade, but by the third crusade for sure. Uh, we talked about that sort of in the intro to the crusades, that they tended to wear crosses, okay, different colors for different nations. Um, I think green was Flanders, blue was France, and red was England. Yeah. Well, Richard's the one that was famous. I'm sure he was the guy running around with that full-length big red cross on him. All right, and then the, the third order, the Teutonic Knights, uh, they had a different story. They were made up mostly of German monk knights. Uh, Manfred, I think, is secretly a Teutonic Knight. He told me that once. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> and they came around in more the Third Crusade period. Um, but very few of them actually participated in the Third Crusade. Uh, they focused instead on some conquest up in east of Germany. Uh, they pushed into the really the last holdout of pagan nations in Europe, uh, which was uh, what we call today Poland, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Uh, back then they called it Prussia. Kind of, I don't know if that's Polish Russia or what it stands for, but Prussia. Uh, and so they began to push into these places, and as they did and conquered, um, they were followed by German settlers and Dominican monks um, to sort of spread Catholicism this way. Um, and, and so it was the Teutonic Knights that finished, if you will, spreading um, Catholicism or Christianity to Europe. Uh, interestingly enough, the last pagan nation was Lithuania, uh, and it didn't get conquered by the knights because they were afraid of that, so they signed a treaty with Poland, which had already been conquered and then made Catholic. Um, and as part of that treaty, they had to adopt Catholicism and the entire nation became Catholic. So that's how we spread Christianity in the Middle Ages. Yeah, just like the Muslims. Um, so that, that wraps up really our timeline of the Crusades. So I want to revisit some of the impacts because um, obviously most of them are not good. Um, the first the result of the Crusades on the church is that it increased the power and authority of the papacy. Uh, if you recall, all four of the major Crusades we talked about were called for by popes. A pope was the person to, to sort of organize it, lead the idea, uh, and because of that, it caused the Western nations and the rulers to look to the Pope uh, and almost submit themselves to the Pope. Um, the Crusaders, as we talked about, they were kind of seen as God's Christian warriors. 
Uh, and so that, in a way, made the Pope the champion of them. He was uh, elevated and gained a lot of authority as a result of the Crusades. Uh, the next result is this is sort of where we get the beginning of, uh, or at least the popularization of, the idea of indulgences. Um, we talked about how participating in a crusade, uh, especially if you got martyred, uh, was a, a way that you could receive pardon for uh, the penalty of your sins. Of course, they said, you know, Christ paid for your sin, but you still had a part, you had to suffer, but you could reduce that suffering or completely wipe it out. Um, it could be indulged. And, of course, it went from you could indulge it by dying to you could indulge it or you know, pardon it by participating. Uh, I mentioned you could get a pardon by hiring somebody else to participate in a crusade, which now we've brought money into the picture. Uh, and so why not just directly give money and get the pardon? So that's sort of where we see this this idea of buying indulgences morph out of. Uh, and then why stop with paying for your own? If the church can get more money, let's buy indulgences for people who are already dead, who we assume are probably still in purgatory because they were pretty rotten people, right? Uh, and so we had indulgences kick off. Uh, the third idea or impact of the Crusades is the idea that uh, we can use military force, and by we I mean the church, to combat the enemies of the church. Uh, so while the Crusades were mostly targeted at Muslims, we did also see the Eastern Church get targeted, even the, the Catholic city of Zara. Um, and really this, this made it okay in the minds of people for the church to use military might to deal with anybody that they saw as the enemy. And that's definitely going to come back in some future lessons as the, the church deals with what they considered heretics, but what we as Protestants look back and would say we're probably true church believers. Um, the fourth impact of the Crusades is that it united a lot of Western Europe uh, under some strong, large monarchies. Prior to the Crusades, we still had a lot of broken, fragmented nations, um, but by the time of the Third Crusade, we saw today there were some very powerful kings uh, who ruled some pretty large kingdoms, and that was going to last throughout the rest of the Middle Ages, that now we have these bigger nations in Europe. Um, that doesn't, of course, like that's not the church, but it's going to impact things that happen in the church and where the church spreads uh, going forward. Um, the fifth thing is that, the, uh, of course, the relationship between the Western and Eastern churches um, really suffered significantly. Some pretty devastating events happened in the Crusades. Uh, and so not only were they uh, very separated and angry with each other, um, but as I mentioned, it left the East Empire very weak um, and ultimately led to their downfall uh, a few centuries later, at least as an empire. Um, and the sixth and final um, point is the relationship or, or the way the Christians and Muslims uh, saw each other going forward from there. Um, prior to the Crusades, of course, the Muslims spreading like they did in the same way where they, they used military conquest to spread Islam were frequently at war with the Eastern Empire, um, but it it was never brutal like the Crusades. They, they were just 
um, more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a political battle. I mean, it was, of course, the Muslims trying to spread their religion, but they didn't hate each other for it. It was just fighting over territory. Um, but the Crusades were something different. The Crusades, from the Muslim point of view, was this very foreign entity coming in and just killing them. They, they weren't, I mean, they were there for land, but they were there to, to exterminate the Muslim, not to evangelize him, not to show mercy to civilians or women and children, but just exterminate. And, and so the Muslims to this day still have that idea behind what a, a Western Christian is um, because of this history we have with them. And so that can make it very difficult for the West to evangelize because we know that that's what we're supposed to do. We're, we weren't supposed to fight them like this. It was never uh, God's intent. Uh, and Muslims are people that God uh, calls and loves and wants to reach. Uh, and so we have this uh, unfortunate uh, obstacle to get through in dealing with uh, Muslims. So, any questions? Um, next week, we're probably going to uh, take a detour back to the East Eastern Church a little bit uh, and look at the rise of Russian Orthodoxy, which took place around this time period. Uh, and then our next few lessons after that, we'll kind of look at how the church develops and society changes as we get into this middle to late Middle Ages period, uh, leading up to the Reformation. So, Did you come across? all right, let's close in prayer. <laughs> Bless you, <laughs> Heavenly Father. Thank you for uh, another day that uh, we can gather here together as your church and study history. Uh, thank you for where you've placed us in history. That we have the benefits of uh, the complete canon of Scripture and so many. Uh, lessons the church has learned, heresies it's dealt with, trials it's gone through, and mistakes it's made. And through all of that, God, you've been faithful to the church. You've preserved your church just as you promised you would and you will do. And so we thank you for your, your gracious love towards us in that. Uh, ask that you would preserve this church, that we would be uh, faithful to you, that you would uh, grow us um, in in depth, grow us in numbers if that's your will. And uh, that you would use us to be a light to the Applegate Valley here. And, uh, please bless the service today, Bob's uh, sermon. Let our hearts be ready to hear it, and that we may be conformed into the image of your Son, and be glorified by our praise and our time together. I ask this in your name. Amen.